Welcome to the official SBGAN podcast, hosted by Dr. Alex Nicely. For those of you here for the first time, welcome. And for everybody else, welcome back. Today's podcast has as its topic the work presented in May 2023 at the SBGAN annual meeting in Vienna by Dr. Sami Wali. Dr. Wali works at the um, Prince Sultan Military Medical Center, or excuse me, Military Medical City Hospital in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, where he chairs the hepatology service. And Sami, working in Saudi Arabia as he does, has access to an infinite variety of hereditary liver disease, given that consanguine parentage is not uncommon among the peoples of that peninsula. He told us, or showed us rather, in Vienna, how wide a phenotypic spectrum tight junction protein 2 deficiency can have when it manifests as liver disease, whether anicteric or icteric cholestasis. Sami has seen more than 1,500 children with various liver disorders since the liver transplant program with living-related donors began in 1998, and among the PFIC, progressive familial intrahepatic cholestasis patients, PFIC4, or TJP2 disease, is, well, it's the fourth in frequency. He has seen 25 patients affected by homozygous variants in TJP2. Among them are five patients from a nearby center with which he collaborates, as does his team. I don't think there's anybody anywhere who is so familiar with the clinical manifestations and the genetic and pathologic correlations of TJP2 disease as is Sami. And it's so that he can share with us his experience and what you can experience or expect in your patients that he's here today to talk to us. Sami, lovely to see you again and welcome. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, thank you for the introduction. So, from where do you want me to start? Well, when did you see your first TJP2 patient recognized as such? Uh, we have a very unique uh, situation, uh, Alex. We started our transplant program, uh, living-related liver transplant program in 1998. Since then, we have seen many, many patients with, with, with familial disorders. Consanguinity is very high. Now, we spent the first 12 years without having a genetic uh, confirmation. So we did extreme hard work to classify diseases, you know, and to, to try to find the clinical diagnosis. And then we, we saw many similarities between patients, and we did not know whether they are BFIC1 I want to stop here just at a moment and say, I want to bring up the name of Dr. Hussa Al-Husseini, 
She was your pocket histopathologist, wasn't she? Yes, she was. Lovely yeah. lady and she very was. interested in forms of pediatric liver disease. Absolutely essential, and I, I'm taking my hat off to her and to you. Yes, and unfortunately, we lost her. She was very interested in histopathology of BFIX and all her liver disorders. So we spent the first 12 years uh, just classifying diseases, you know, and, and, and classifying and reclassifying. And then after that, uh, we, we got the chance to send for single genes uh, sequencing for three years. And then after that, we were be able to, to, to do a whole exome sequencing. Let me see if I've got the timeline right. 1998 plus 12 years. And then as of the turn of the millennium, 2000, you had single gene sequencing for three years. Yes. And then after that, exomic sequencing and indeed genomic sequencing became available to you. And effectively, you were putting the soup through finer and finer strainers, finding not just individual genes that were responsible, but also contributory elements in those patients' background. Yes, we, we you know, the fairest exome sequencing I have done is for 10 families in in in, in uh, 2013 and i paid from my pocket you know because for for 14 15 years we were struggling with this patient and we didn't know so i was desperate to know the diagnosis and i got 80 percent success with with the, with the 12 12 families and then uh, after doing then we, we have we will be able to do uh, routinely whole exome but then we, we came also with a negative uh, whole exome then so I found uh, a very uh, nice geneticist in King Faisal who was doing research. So we put all this negative West patient into our research. And he, he is doing with the homozygosity mapping, very tricky uh, uh, method. And we discovered five new genes at once. They were not known to, to, to cause uh, human disease, including USP53, and we called it BFX type 7. So we have homozygosity mapping yes. with the benefit, for the benefit of those and those at home or in their cars who aren't quite familiar with that, that is simply looking at various markers along chromosomes to see in which regions the child is manifesting homozygosity. Yeah, and to say within those regions, he or she, given a consanguine parentage, has inherited the same segment of DNA from each parent. Yes. And if autosomal recessive inheritance is suspected, then it's within those regions of homozygosity that a, that a candidate gene can be sought. Yes, we were lucky because, because we had consanguinous parents and we have three affected patients in the same family and we have five or three other siblings. So all of them, we look for the, uh, for the mapping in all of them and it's very easy to, to discover uh, a, a specific gene. We discovered five at once. Sami, you were at play in the fields of the Lord, as the statement goes, and, and you made the best of it. But TJP2, back to TJP2, when did you find your first children with TJP2, and how did they present to you? We, I don't remember uh, which one was the fairest, but we, the fairest one uh, is, is a family of three. We sent uh, in a whole exome in 2013, but we did not have the result uh, back until after Richard Thompson uh, published his first uh, uh, TGV2 uh, series. So 
Um, then we we had you know a couple of siblings all together. They come uh, you know subs uh, subsequently. The first uh, patients we had uh, two siblings who had uh, only itching and and fat soluble vitamin deficiency, and they have a high bile serum bile acids. So they have hypercholinemia, but their cholestasis is anecteric. There is no cholestasis. Yes, it is an anecteric cholestasis, or if you, if you can say it, no, no cholestasis or no jaundice. No jaundice. Yes, no jaundice. And um, initially there used to be two, and then a third uh, sibling came out. They keep on having babies. Yes, yes, they keep. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't do for them, you know... Um, like we couldn't send, uh, send uh, for for, uh, for uh, pregnancy, you know. Yeah, yeah. And um, so these these three patients uh, were the initial ones, you know. And then we saw other patients with similar uh, picture to PFIC type one patients, exactly the same phenotype. They have jaundice this time. They have intractable itching, they have high serum bile acid, they have fat-soluble vitamin deficiency, and, and they have a bland cholestasis on, on, on liver biopsy. Well, we can get into that in a little bit, yeah. but those first three, the, that first three of two siblings initially and then the late arrival, yes. I'm sure that you treated them with fat-soluble vitamins. And then you, but what, did you try for the itching? Did you did they respond, for example, to biliary diversion? We did not do biliary diversion for them. The parents refused biliary diversion. We we gave them only erythrocyclic acid and rifampicin and cholesteramine, and until now they are on these three medications for the itching. For the itching, yeah. Are you going to try some of the newer? Modalities such as the bile acid uptake inhibitors in these I patients. I bet inhibitors. I bet inhibitors. Yes. Well, I don't know whether it will work with this because I bet inhibitors work if there is a bile flow. So if there is a bile flow uh, into the intestine, then it, it works nicely. But this one, there is a leakage of bile through disrupted tight junctions into serum. So mm -hmm. I don't know whether it is. It is like uh, it is like a, a complete loss of bicep, for example. There is no bile flow. Well, I'm just saying, if they have hypercholinemia, if they have elevated serum bile acids, maybe to deplete the bile acid pool could be useful. Um, but what do I know? I'm just a, I'm just a simple country pathologist, and you'll have to no, and you'll have to give it a try, or you might consider giving it a try. Let's put it that way. Absolutely. Okay. And just the idea that you know there must be bile flow for IBATS inhibitors to work. But the same for your cholestyramine treatment. In effect, you're using a different approach to depleting bile yes. acids by removing it from yes, chyme. Yes, you are right. We are giving it, but without knowing whether it works or not. <laughs> okay. Well. At some t at, sometimes you just try these things in, in Western culture. They're called saying a Hail Mary and giving it a try. And if it works, well, inshallah, it yes, works. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So those are the first three. The first three that came along, and they have a hypercholinemia phenotype, yeah. which is really very reminiscent of what was described from Amish and Mennonite communities some, both, 
is it, oh my gosh, how long ago can that have been? Maybe 20 years ago. Yes. By Victoria Carlton working with uh, Laura Bull in the United States. Now, I think they are, they are identical to these cases because even in, in, in these old cases, you know, ALT was always higher than AST. And in our siblings, ALT is always higher. It is a mildly elevated ALT, but all the time higher than AST. And gamma GT is not Gamma GT is normal all the way. Synthetic function is just fine. Absolutely. Liver biopsy normal, near normal. Near normal. I've only seen one liver biopsy from such a hypercholinemia patient. But boy, I was expecting that kid who was so, so miserable because of itching to have a little bit more wrong with her liver. And it wasn't scarred. It wasn't inflamed. I was impressed. And that's what you're seeing, aren't you? Just... In those liver biopsy specimens, no inflammation and no fibrosis. Yes. Fantastic. And no cholestasis. And no accumulations of bile pigment. Well, then there's another clinical phenotype, and that's the one that you've likened to FIC1 deficiency disease, ATP8B1 disease. Those are children with the same set of clinical symptoms, the same presentation, except they have icteras. This is an icteric form of cholestasis. And liver biopsy in those patients, you told us in Vienna, shows a bland cholestasis. That is, a, there's some bile pigment knocking around. Yes. But the hepatocytes are small, tidy, really unremarkable, and there's no lobular disarray. There's no fibrosis, and there's no inflammation. ALT is elevated, again, higher than AST. Gamma-GT is elevated. And yet these patients, you say, these five kids, all came to liver transplantation. How was that? They don't seem that bad off, except for the itching. There, there is, there is an, an, an illusion in the, in, in the subject. You know, because oh. they, ha they have severe intractable itching. Yes. And they have severe fat-soluble uh, vitamin deficiency. Yes. Yet, mm. they don't have inflammation. The, the parenchyma of the liver is near normal, apart from the bland cholestasis. So that is difficult to explain how can they have so much severe itching and uh, uh, fat-soluble deficiency without having a severe uh, inflammation in the, in, the, in the liver, which is like Bific type 1. Well, it is, it is. So we transplanted them because of the intractable itching that is not responding to medical treatment, you know. To medical, but not to surgical treatment. No, not medical, not surgical, no. And again, IBAT came after these no, patients. No, those were old, old cases. Okay. Whoa, well, I have to ask you, did you have the chance, did HUSA have the chance to carry out electron microscopy no, or immunostatic? No, so we have a little, we can't exactly say that this is a PFIC type 1, an ATP8B1 disease, phenocopy on the histopathologic level, you, you but it certainly, has, it certainly has some resemblances and should be something to think of if your histopathologist is looking at a liver biopsy specimen and your patient shows these manifestations of disease. Yeah. Now, the ones that... 
scare me are the 17 out of your 25 who had all of the above symptoms and inflammation. Yes. And, well, inflammation may be the wrong word. They had profound lobular disarray. They had lots of bile pigment piled up in the liver. And they had fibrosis. Yes. Those were the ones... Did any of them go on to develop hepatocellular carcinoma? I know that's been reported in association. Not in your group. Okay. So, but something to be on the something to be on the lookout for in these Those are the patients whom you would suspect of having bile salt export pump deficiency or even FXR deficiency. FXR being an activator of bile salt export pump synthesis. Without FXR, you don't have BSEP. Without BSCP, you don't have bile acid export from liver cell into canaliculus. And with accumulation inside the hepatocyte of bile acids, you have the cell starting to auto-digest. But those patients, in my experience, express BSCP. And, of course, you can have variations that eliminate BSCP function without eliminating BSCP expression. But these were TJP2 patients, and those came to your attention. that You identified them after sequencing details became available. That yeah. was the cue. Yeah, yeah. What I, like about your, what I like about your population here is that you haven't found in doing exomic or genomic sequencing, you're not finding heterozygosity for potentially contributory mutations. No, no, I did not find, no. These are pure TJP2 deficiency patients. Yeah, and these the inflammatory uh, phenotypes they have, they commonly they have extrahepatic manifestations. Oh, tell us about those. Yeah, oh, we had uh, uh, one child with uh, nist- horizontal nystagmus and cyst in the, uh, in the brain and developmental delay and uh, speech delay, hearing impairment. Um, he had all uh, neurological uh, manifestations, you know. And we have three other siblings, sisters, all presented with normal gamma-GT cholestasis. And then the first one died maybe like 25 years ago. The second one came to us. We, she had the chronic lung disease and then with ESR of 94. So we thought maybe she's having a tuberculosis or a chronic infection. We investigated her for all these causes. We could not find any infectious uh, cause, so we did not transplant her. The third one, she came without any uh, lung disease, so with, with intractable itching and cholestasis. So we transplanted her. Years later, she developed chronic lung disease. And this was progressively increasing, and we investigated, you know, thoroughly for the lung biopsy with short fibrosis. Mm. We thought of drug complications like tacrolimus. We we thought of of infection. So we investigated so many ways we could not find any cause. Eventually, we found out that, you know, she is having a homozygous variance in nonsense, homozygous variance in TGB2. So we knew that this chronic lung disease is from uh, her primary disease. We have um, various cardiac defects, ASD, VSD, pulmonary stenosis, status inversus, abdominalis, and we have deafness. We have seen deafness in the pre-transplant, in some pre-transplant patients, and we have, see, uh, see the, we have seen deafness in some post-liver transplant patients. They developed deafness in the post-transplant, and this has made us 
more careful with tacrolimus in, in, in the TGB2 because tacrolimus is known to cause uh, deafness. In transplanting these patients, are you careful to choose donors who are not heterozygotes for TJP2 disease? No, we have no choice except to, to have one of the parents. One of the and parents. we have done okay. this with all our BFIX, you know. Okay. Well, these are fascinating data. I, I haven't had a chance to mention that in the less severely affected patients, your variants that you found are substitution, and in the next, the next most with icterus, they are splice site variations. Yes. And then in the most severely, they are frame shift or nonsense or, again, splice site variations. Yes, I think those which lead to complete loss of the protein leads to an inflammatory phenotype with extrahepatic manifestations. These are things that... Who else could contribute this much information to our stock of what we know about TJP2 disease? Sami, thank you. Thank you so much for making yourself available for this. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you very much, Alex. Uh, Sami, you've, you've blessed me with a book. It's Primary ATP8B1 Deficiency Disease, PFIC1, A Disease of Impaired Raft Rebuilding by Sami Wali. Sami, you've written a number of books on various aspects of the cell biology of disease, a sort of unified theory. I haven't read this yet. I look very much forward to reading it. We don't have time to go into aspects of your theory. I will but be waiting for you to read this. Okay. At this point, we'd like to ask you, as we always do with these interviews, to recommend to our listeners a song that says a little bit of something about you and where you came from, where you come from, and that touched your heart. Oh. Alex, I don't listen to songs. I don't have time to listen to songs. I spent 15 years writing these 83 books and never find uh, a time to, to, to songs. But anyhow, I did hear uh, a song once uh, a time. I think she was a famous uh, singer uh, because her voice was very nice. It uh, says, hello, it's me. And I want to modify the name. Of the song. So to hello, it's Sami Wali. Hello, it's me, Sami Wali. <laughs> hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to me to go over everything. They say the time's supposed to heal ya, but I ain't done much healing. Hello, can you hear me? I'm in California dreaming about who we used to be when we were younger and free. I've forgotten how it felt before the world fell at our feet. There's such a difference between us and a million miles. Hello from the
If you would like to listen to the song in full length, please check out our SBGAN playlist. Adele, thank you. Or Samir, if it's you singing and not Adele, thank you again. Thank you very much. <laughs>